Hello and welcome to the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day. On today's podcast, I sit down and speak with Nyasa Hind, who is an illustrator based in Cornwall. And we have a really fantastic discussion about the representation of pugs within art history with a particular look at three paintings from British artist William Hogarth who had a love of the breed and used them as an object of satire and to poke fun at the upper classes during the mid-1700s. Nyasa is incredibly knowledgeable having written her undergraduate dissertation called Pugs, an icon that represents the relationship between fashion and art. And we delve into the history of pug representation within the history of art, focusing particularly on Hogarth, of course. It's an incredibly interesting discussion, which I left feeling way more knowledgeable than what I did entering into it. And Nyasa is so enthusiastic, it's hard not to completely fall in love with the idea of going off to explore more examples of pugs represented within art. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy listening to the episode as much as I did recording it. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to do this. I honestly almost fell off my chair when um, when you wrote me back. Oh, I don't know if this is what you're looking for. And I was like, this is perfect. Because I just think it's like a great example of how art history can really stretch and how there's so many stories within. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I listened to your little trailer on. Um, on oh, the thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the bit that like really stuck out to me was saying about how you wanted to make art like quite accessible. Which, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like because I wrote about this topic for um, my dissertation. So when I was doing my dissertation, researching for it, a lot of other people were kind of researching quite sort of formal elements of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just there, well, like, well, pugs are really interesting. <laughs> Yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I just wanted to do something that I found really interesting. And I don't think uh, to get into art, you have to, like, understand about, you know, like, the types of paint used and, like, how different mediums mean different things. I think it can completely relate to, like, other things that you're interested in in life. Oh, totally. uh, I'm a complete dog lover. And at the time, I was so obsessed with pugs. Um, so it just yeah it just seemed like the perfect thing to research then and actually the more I looked into it the more interested I became because yeah the history is is pretty fascinating well to me maybe I'm just not very cool <laughs> when I've been speaking to my friends I'm like oh I'm, I'm speaking to this illustrator later and we're going to talk the history of pugs and um through a couple of paintings and art history and everyone's been like that's amazing when is that episode out <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad everyone's excited for it because I was quite excited to talk about it. Oh, I don't normally have an excuse to talk about it. I just oh my goodness, facts. The the floor is yours. <laughs> well, excellent. So pugs um, actually originate from the Far East, from um, China, and they were they first sort of emerged during the Shang Dynasty time in China, and they were also companions to Tibetan monks, which is quite interesting. Oh. Um, So when the East Indian Trading Company set up, they obviously started 
bringing all the things over from the places that they were visiting. Uh, and it was only a matter of time before pets started being brought over as well. So then they became quite popular among the sort of noble royal families and very wealthy families in Europe. There's quite a few examples of, I think it's especially in the Netherlands, um, there's like Dutch princesses that are always painted with their pugs by their sides. So yeah, they mainly started cropping up in artwork because of their associations with the wealthy. And okay. the wealthy were interested because they were obsessed with anything that had been imported because that made them look really fancy. Ah, um, okay. So yeah, so the artists that I mainly looked at and know about who uses pugs quite a lot in his work is William Hogarth who is um, an English painter from the early 1700s. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's quite well known as a satirical artist. And yeah, he is also very well known as a lover of pugs. So he painted what was known as conversation pieces, which are like informal group portraits. He didn't really like the sort of very formal, just portrait of a person. He preferred yeah. to tell a story with, the conversation pieces that he was painting and in quite a few of them he decided to put his own pug in the midst of all the very wealthy noble people that he was painting yeah Uh, one example of that is a portrait of the strode family which was a conversation piece from i think it was from the 1930s and they've got their own dog sitting there (laughs) having a nice time and william hogarth decided to put his pug trump on the other side um, kind of adding his little signature and little artistic flair uh, but you could also say he was kind of taking making a mockery of the upper class people as well pugs that the pug that he used is sort of fat very stiff very upright very like yeah formal and then the actual painting is supposedly less formal but you can if you look at it you can still kind of see the the poses are still quite rigid oh my goodness absolutely. <laughs> uh, which was very much the style of painting at the time you know they're wealthy people they want to show off how fancy they are and the oh, that's of these conversation pieces was for wealthy people to spend their wealth this was just a way for them to flaunt how much money they had so it's kind of theorized that Hogarth put his pug in there to be like this is a rather silly looking dog who is sat very formally like oh yes I'm one of the nobility as well. What I think is so interesting about this uh, about this painting and just for anyone listening and all the works that we're going to be talking about are available to view on my website and on uh, my Instagram page and we'll link it in the show notes below. But what I love about this, just going back to what you said, it's supposed to be this very casual situation, but it is so (laughs) rigid and it's supposed to be a casual Sunday afternoon tea or something. And everyone's in their Sunday best, they're serving tea, they've got these beautiful ornate framed works in the background in this huge what I assume is some sort of library or day room yeah this is definitely a very staged piece absolutely very plush sort of red velvet chairs their dog just sort of loyally even the dog's eating off yeah their own family dog is sat there like looking very staged and I mean I don't know if who are listening there will probably be a few that have dogs and know that dogs will not sit still to be painted. 
Well, that's it, especially if there's food on the table. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't know how they managed to accomplish this dog sitting there not eating that cake on the floor. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is, it's not a casual piece, even though that is what the intention was. What I love about it is it's everything is so polished. And then just as you said, you have this sort of very odd looking character just like tucked away in the corner. Just yeah. tongue sort of hanging out a little bit and just just been like, okay, everyone, how are we doing? Yeah. Like, it's, just, it's amazing. <laughs> well, another one, another painting of Hogarth that I think really represents this is there's a painting, um, it's of Captain Lord George Graham in his cabin. Um, and it's these men, obviously, in the cabin of a ship, ready to go off adventuring, exploring. Uh, whatever they were up to in those days yeah. <laughs> um, and you've just got this absolutely ridiculous pug sat on the chair very front and center wearing a wig and reading a map with his yeah. tongue lolling out and I just think that's the perfect embodiment of the pug that we know today um, is just really silly really funny and also very much upstaging the people that he's surrounded by. Um, that, isn't it? You take he, a pug out for a walk, everyone wants to talk to you. <laughs> well, definitely, definitely. And I think Hog it seems from this painting, Hogarth was far more interested in painting the pug than he was in painting these very noble men um, going about their business. Oh, well, that's it. And the captain himself, he's in this like amazing... So they're all sitting around this table and they have two servants. One is... Um, serenading them with music another one is about to put some chicken on the table they're supposed to be singing or something that I read but the, the captain so, is very yeah. sort of casually smoking the longest pipe I think ever depicted in art history <laughs> this tiny little detail in the corner that just completely steals the show. he definitely does and there's a great documentary by somebody called Lars Tharp an art historian and I think you can watch it on YouTube if you're interested. Oh, I'll have to remember what it's called now. Okay. Um, I, I might have to message it to you later about his life and about how pugs showed up in his artwork. And his sort of theory of it was that pugs were just there to take away the formal sort of pompousness of the scene. That especially in this picture, the pug was there to make it less staged and more interesting and funny and just a bit silly. Well, that's it. And the, there was people... no way that you'd have a pug at that time reading a map. I mean, you don't even get a pug at this time reading a map. Maybe in twenty years we'll see what technology can bring us. But yeah, it's um, it's just amazing. It's um, it's like he's put it there to get people talking and people like looking at this work to talk. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is known as a conversation piece, so <laughs> that is probably what his intention was, rather than get them talking about the sort of obvious wealth and formal scene and setting. He was going to get them talking about something else that yeah. he found interesting. The pugs even put on the chair, so it's suggested to, and there's a, sp a little spaniel on the floor, so it seems that the pug's been sort of elevated into this position of power among the wealthy men um that's so interesting i wouldn't even have like considered that as an option but you're totally right it's it's not on the floor it's it's equal no he's on a chair he's wearing a wig he he knows what he's doing like, he can read he's <laughs> this this pug is definitely just stealing the show yeah it just seems to be like showing the pug's place among the wealthy even though it's a little bit silly 
I mean, it's definitely sort of linking back to the history of the pug um, that we know they're a pretty well-traveled breed if they originated in China. So to have it there, like reading a map and taking part in this sort of conversation about what they're, whatever they're up to at the time, it's just showing the status of the pug as well, not just of the men, just that having the pug there makes it all the more wealthy because pugs were known as a pretty like fashionable breed of dog to have, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's such an interesting topic because when you when you first initially said, oh, you would you, you, you could talk about this subject with me. I was like, oh, is, is there a lot of pugs in yeah. that history? And I had to Google and it's just this minefield. And yeah. Anyone, yeah, anyone listening, I would tell you, have a Google. It, it will blow your mind. And it's also a really interesting way of tracking because What's interesting is they, they don't actually look like the pugs that we know today. Well, yeah, this is what I was just about to sort of come on well, to is are. even the pictures that Hogarth himself has painted, which is who we're looking at right now, the pugs that he's portrayed don't even look alike. So you've got the painting of the pug in the Strode family portrait and you've got this one and they're two very different looking pugs. And yeah. The one in the painting of Captain Lord George Graham is much more like squat and squash faced and sort of echoes the pug that we know today. Um, whereas the one in the Strode family is a lot stockier and looks a lot bigger. I mean, it's pretty much as big as their other dog, which looks to be some kind of terrier. And today we'd know a pug to be quite a lot smaller than a terrier. So I think what we've also got to see is that pedigree characteristics of all dogs were only really put in place um, in the 19th century, which was about 100 years after these paintings were painted. Yeah. Um, which is so that's when breeding really started to accentuate certain features that we now see as recognizable in certain breeds of dogs. So today with a pug, a squashed nose, very like curly tail and very squat features and very buggy eyes. Yeah, that's what we know as a pug. Um, but that's not that's not what they would have been recognized as in art history. Yeah, it's just it's very different and even um you look at artwork today uh, there's a quite a famous illustrator called Gemma Carell I don't know if you've come across her work before. no um so she's a cartoonist and illustrator and she draws her own pugs and other pugs quite a lot in her cartoons um she creates kind of like parodies of or she has created like parodies of um quite famous artworks like okay I don't know if you know the picture of Rosie the Riveter, the We Can Do It, um, very yes. iconic picture. So yep. um, Gemma Carell's done a pug version of this. Um, but if you look at that picture, the features that we really recognise of a pug are really accentuated, like the sort of flat face and the curly tail. And obviously in cartoon, it's a bit different to the more, much more detailed pictures that have been painted in art history. So with cartoons, you obviously have to create accent features so you know, so the viewer knows what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but those features are actually not very healthy for a pug, whereas the one that we can see, especially in the Strode family portrait and in Hogarth's own self-portrait, there's a picture of a pug as well. Um, and these are much more sort of healthy looking breeds of dogs because they haven't been manipulated to accentuate these 
features that just aren't very good for them. Well, that's it, exactly. And so coming on to, uh, if we look at Hogarth's, um, which initially you think is a self-portrait because it's called The Painter and His Pug. Yeah, but it's not really a self-portrait. It's much more a portrait of his pug. Absolutely. Um, so the picture of Hogarth is like in a canvas within the canvas, um, which is quite an interesting way to portray a self-portrait. And a lot of art historians theorise that Hogarth used his pug so much in artwork as like a signature and to represent himself. And that was his way of like injecting himself into his paintings. Okay. Um, so which may be why he's painted this self-portrait with the pug, again, front and centre, taking the limelight away from him. So what's really interesting about that painting is Hogarth had a theory about creating beauty in artwork which was through a curved like s-shaped line okay um which is what he's used in this painting of himself and his pug there's like an s-shaped line through the curtain connecting hogarth in his canvas and the pug ah okay which i mean i don't know how like obvious it is but it's really not it did not it's kind of not as obvious as um it was kind of like when I first looked at this, I like I said, I thought it was a self-portrait. And yeah, it, yeah. I read it and I was like, oh gosh, that is a canvas. But I I, I can see now that you've pointed it's it out, I can like see a the subtle thing that is added in and it just seems to be kind of whether it's saying that the pug is stealing the show and taking the beauty, or whether he's sort of suggesting what beauty is in artwork. But I mean that bit's unclear, but this is just based on his own theory that's been recognised in art history and this is something that he discussed when he was a prominent artist and yeah and then there's another interesting thing about another interesting fact about this painting was that he actually in the picture you can see that he's sort of dressed pretty plainly um got a nice little red coat on and a little hat but when he first painted it, x-rays have shown that he painted himself really nobly dressed, very fancy, lots of gold. And he then changed his mind um, oh. and painted over it with his much more just subtle, natural clothes that he's wearing in the final product. Um, so Hogarth wasn't born into nobility. He was, I think he was recognized as like middle class at the time not yeah, wealthy, he... not part of the upper class no but he, he was did the... become quite well known mm-hmm. as a as a painter so sort of moved up in the class system um yeah. so maybe was that he show like he couldn't decide how he wanted to identify himself either so he decided that he wanted to paint himself as really wealthy and formal and then was like oh actually maybe not maybe that's not really who i am but yeah the pug who's definitely there taking up the center stage <laughs> that's who he is and i read somewhere that um the pug in this work this uh, this painting of of the painter and his pug it, it's to represent hogarth's what what the tate have called because this work is available to view at tate britain his pugnaciousness yes uh, yes which so is a described i've as... never heard <laughs> well i think 
pugnacious actually means like quick to argue yeah yeah which does seem like quite an interesting way to identify yourself as in artwork (laughs) but maybe that was something that he recognized in himself and was like well rather than showing himself as a really angry bloke he's like well I'll just put my little pug in there that can say that bit for me well, there you are. That's it. It's a way of um, pointing towards, because a lot of Hogarth's work was all around sort of the modern moral subjects. Yes. And yes. pointing to sort of the follies of everyday life, but also poking fun at the wealthy and... Definitely, definitely. Essentially consumerism and how it's it's not what everyone seems to think it is, which is really funny because Hogarth, like you said, really worked his way up through the ranks. So he was the son of uh, a schoolmaster who ended up in debtor's prison yes his prospects were completely trashed at one point in his life so he took up an apprenticeship with a goldsmith then he showed talent and skill so then he opened his own engravers and he was actually the first artist to produce art for the masses for like the everyday person on a subscription basis which was incredible but again it was all all full of satire and just poking fun at the, the wealthy and everyday but dogs are such an important such an important uh character and reoccurring symbol within his work yeah i mean i think especially like well in modern day where it's much more common to own a dog i think we can really look back on these pictures and on how dogs appear in art history and we really do find it funny because we can really relate to what your dog would actually be like in that circumstance um like how we were saying earlier about getting the dog to sit on the floor and not eat the cake with my dog that'd be impossible yeah Um, so I think that's why it is so interesting to us now but back then when the audience of his paintings would have been the wealthy they would have been the ones that would own the dogs because they would have been the only ones to afford it. So they probably would have recognised the same characteristics of their own dogs in these paintings. And I think that's where he really injects his own personality and sort of conversation starter elements. Yes. That we would, the audience of his artwork would recognise those characteristics um, and find them funny and find them appealing. Well, that's it. And it's a way of, it's a great way of like, self-publicizing yourself as well to be like oh we can get Hogarth in and commission a work for you know these grand homes and things like that as well it was a it was a fantastic way of advertising yeah um, definitely yeah he's it's such an interesting topic is there anything else you'd like to say about the painter and his pug because there's um uh the palette at the bottom of this painting that yes. um that has this as you've sort of uh mentioned earlier about the the curvature the curve yeah yeah of beauty and it's also reflected in the palette there too which again I didn't see until I had I had read and then it's very sort of finely engraved the the line of beauty and grace is this curve shape which links back again to what you were saying earlier about oh yeah I've only just noticed that as well ah well there you are so um something new every day well yeah well, so this is obviously what he was talking about his own theories and well that's it because he published um and i've got it here in 1953 he published a book called the analysis of beauty and oh, just interesting all about his idea that beauty needed to have this curvature through it this this line uh, which actually yeah. um 
led to sort of mass ridicule, but it's this quite impressive book that he put together and spent his latter years of his life creating. It's so I interesting. Mean, it, that's why he loved the pug so much, because they are a pretty curvy dog. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> They've got a lot of lines. They've got a lot of lines. Definitely. If they're as wrinkly as the ones today, then he'd be all over that. That's amazing. Um, this has opened my eyes to a new pub <laughs> filled world of wonderfulness. <laughs> It's interesting to see how much pugs have changed because of breeding and how I think like when I wrote this dissertation, mm -hmm. um, it was partly that I was so interested in the fashion element and why, okay. why, it, why we ended up liking pugs so much because when you look at them, they're actually quite ugly. <laughs> well, that's it. And I don't know about you, but there seems to be, I always assumed the, the boom of pugs happened maybe about 10 years ago. They just seemed to be everywhere all of a sudden. I don't know if yeah, it was down a corner, but And it was so interesting to see that actually there's there's always been this fascination with them and they have always yeah. been a status symbol because even now a, a pug's not a cheap dog and it, I think it does Definitely. say something about you as even now as an owner of a pug well this is um kind of what I was researching in terms of fashion so fashion mm -hmm. the theory that I looked at was the relationship between the object of fashion and how we perceive it so it's also a little bit to do with like group mentality so in this time um of Hogarth pugs were the dogs of wealthy people there was duchesses and nobility that owned them um even queen victoria owned a few pugs which sort of sparked a line of pugs within the royal family oh i didn't know that interesting fun fact yeah. good one for a pub quiz <laughs> <laughs> so um that kind of association meant that if you owned a pug you were also associated with this group of pug owners that were very royal, upper-class, wealthy people, which is a group that you probably want to be part of. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, the fashion sort of theory was to do with owning a particular object would put you in a particular group, for example, a group of pug owners, which would make you appear to have the sort of stereotypical characteristics of that group. So whether that's like wealthiness or nobility or whatever it is that's associated with it. Um, and I think that probably does continue a little bit today. Like if you own a pug today, it's still a pretty expensive dog. So maybe you still associate it with becoming part of a group of obviously not nobility because it's a bit less. Yeah. Sort of, <laughs> the divide is a little bit less now, um, but definitely a wealthier group and also just a group of dog owners. I mean, if you are a dog owner yourself, you'll know that if you go outside and you have a dog, people will talk to you if you if they also have a dog. That's, that's kind it. of how it seems to work in England. Well, that's it. And uh, dogs are so great at like equalising. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Doesn't matter um, if you're rich or poor. If you if you like a dog and you have a dog, you're going to interact with them and each other. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then there are other certain features of pugs, especially that Hogarth seemed to have used, which is like the because of the way their characteristic, the features of them are. Sorry. Um, they have quite big expressive eyes, very expressive faces, their ears are quite like pointy so you can sort of do a lot with them to make them convey a certain emotion. So that in our work is known as anthropomorphism. Oh, that right. I think it is. That's a good word. <laughs> um, which is kind of humanising something that isn't a human. 
Okay. So it means that we just relate to it a bit more. We can create this kind of empathic bond. We understand the char- the um, emotions that it's trying to convey. And I think that's why they make such good subjects in artwork is you can really convey emotion and expression through a pug's features because they have such expressive features. Um, so people, even though they're not human, people can kind of relate to them on a human emotional level. On that note, that is a, a fabulous place to stop and yeah, to definitely. let people sort of contemplate and go away and uh, get, have their mind blown by... <laughs> By how many pugs there really are in our work. Well, that's it. It could be a game. Maybe there should be an, a new venture. Um, pug Cow. bingo. Well, that's it. <laughs> there are definitely a lot. I mean, I've literally just scraped the surface. Even with what I researched a couple of years ago when I wrote this dissertation, I just like researched the sort of minimum that I could, but there is so much out there. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's worse ways to spend your time in a library sort of looking at paintings of, of dogs. <laughs> well, yeah, far more interesting than researching, like, what paint somebody used. I mean, oh, my that's... goodness. <laughs> I think you you win the dissertation of the century, actually. Um, it sounds so, <laughs> so, think so. so, so interesting. It is. Oh, my goodness. I think I wrote my dissertation on collections in museums, which is as dry as it sounds. Um, <laughs> interesting depending on the collection that you focused on yeah so mine was about I looked at two case studies so I compared um the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool because they had just spent all this money on sort of digitalizing their collection Uh and taking a whole load of new works out of storage and doing like a salon a salon hang which is what it's called so it's when there's not a lot of space between artworks and you just sort of pile them high. And it was their sort of response to getting more works out of storage. And then I compared it to Glasgow. I mean, I think it was interesting at the time, but it's one of these ones I think if I read it back, I'd be like, oh my goodness, Joe. <laughs> well, I read mine back and I was like, wow, all this stuff. I did not have that when I read mine, but I can imagine that is so, yeah, your sounds. Really Maybe I'm just really nerdy. <laughs> No, not at all. I like I embrace that. I mean, I I'm, I'm doing a, a history podcast. Like, <laughs> this is true. This is true. The we're embracing, we're embracing the really. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your. your right. You have been amazing, and it's Aww. only half past ten, and you've already made my day. Um, <laughs> so we. So where can people find you because you're a, a fabulous illustrator and you're uh, you're based in Cornwall but where can people find you on social media and where can they yeah so um my I'm mainly on Instagram uh so my Instagram is Nyasa Hind Illustration uh so to spell it because I know it's a strange name it's N-Y-A-S-S-A-H-I-N-D-E illustration um and yeah that's mainly where I am and I do a lot of Instagram stories so if that's your thing thank you so much no thank you podcast as well I feel really honored to have actually been able to use the information that I researched so much well thank you no it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure's been all mine um but yeah thank you so much Well, there you have it, the end of another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast. For one last time, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Nyasa Hind for being so enthusiastic and generous with her time and knowledge. It's a subject, when we first started talking about the idea that this could be a podcast episode, I was so excited. 
that I just couldn't wait to sit down and record with her and she did not fail to deliver so thank you so much. If you would like to know more about Nyasa and what she's up to I will leave some links to her Instagram page and website in the show notes and if you've enjoyed what you've listened to today then please do feel free to pass on the podcast to someone who you might think will also enjoy learning a little bit about the representation of pugs within art history. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, maybe to share your comments on what we've discussed today or perhaps even pitch an idea yourself or what we can cover in the podcast, then you can email me joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram, which is at joesarthistory and you'll find me there. As mentioned in the podcast, all works mentioned are linked in the show notes and you will also be able to find them on my website and also on my Instagram and my stories. I've been Jo McLaughlin, your resident host and friendly art historian and I look forward to seeing you next time on the Jo's Art History Podcast.